Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, I'm Darren. I'm joined tonight by Maggie, Anija, and Gerald, as usual. And we are going to talk tonight about something a little bit different. Um, we've been watching a show called Counterpart, and we thought it would be interesting to have a chat about it because I don't think that many people have been really talking about Counterpart. And it's actually, I think anyway, it's a really compelling series. So, um, yeah, we're going to sit down and have a chat about the first five episodes of Counterpart. Um, just as an FYI, this is going to be a full spoilers episode, um, podcast as usual. Um, and, um, I guess Counterpart actually aired, I think in February or March of this year. So it's been a little while since it's been out. So we're kind of catching up with it. Um, so yeah, so it's a little, what we're talking about is a little bit out of date, but, um, I think it's worthwhile talking about because it is a super interesting show. Um, so, look, I, I think we should start. Um, firstly, hello, everybody. Like, Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we should start by just um, talking kind of briefly about the premise of what Counterpart is, right? So, um, Counterpart is basically a... It's a TV series. It's one season. It's on Stars um, In Australia, it's on SBS On Demand. Um, and... Ostensibly, it's a thriller. It's it's basically a thriller in the in the vein of the John le Carré style, you know, the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Cold War style thriller, where you know there's a you know we don't really you just know. took my line. Oh, I'm sorry, Jazz. <laughs> but I was uh, going to say it's 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 Tinker Ta- it's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy meets Twilight Zone. Yeah, so I mean. It, that's that's kind of it, right? It's basically Tinker Tailor so- Soldier Spy with like a sci-fi twist to it. Um, so the premise basically is that in 1987 in East Berlin, before the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, they're sort of tinkering around in a bunker somewhere and they find, they basically do this experiment. It's kind of unclear what happens, but they open a door into another world, which is basically exactly the same as our world. And... Really, I mean, it's it's not really another world. It's basically, at that point in time, they managed to duplicate the universe and then split it, right? So the moment you have two du- duplicate universes operating, things start diverging. So from that one point in 1987, these two planet Earths start diverging from each other, and um, we basically are thrown into a world where um, these two Earths are kind of treating each other quite suspiciously and we meet a guy called Howard Silk who works at this government department that oversees this government department in our world but for the sake of this podcast we'll call it um, and I think the online counterpart people call it the alpha world Um, and then there's the prime world which is kind of the parallel world which diverged in 1987. Um, so basically, the main protagonist of this show is a guy called Howard Silk. He works at this um, office of interchange or whatever it's, it's called, which is basically oversees this kind of gate. And, you know, we're introduced to, to this sort of sci-fi conceit. And the story basically follows him and his counterpart, his um, the other Howard Silk, Howard Silk Prime from the other world, and how they navigate this sort of thriller-style spy world that they get thrown into. So, um, do you think that's a fair explanation of what Counterpart is about, guys? Have I missed anything, really? Yeah, except that most people in the Alpha world don't know about the Prime world. It's really just people in that in that um, government organization and only at the higher levels that even know that other world exists. Yes, correct, correct. And I, I think the way they've done it is that the Alpha world is very similar to our world, um, and the prime world also is similar on many levels, but there are just these mild differences that when you see, there's just weird things that are sort of vaguely out of place. But as with all good sci-fi, I, I like I think I mean, and it's I think it's the reason that we as a group really enjoyed Westworld for the most part. Um, I mean, good sci-fi is really telling 
humans something about themselves, right? And, you know, this... I, I feel like this series is full of, like, really interesting, meaty, sort of sci-fi themes. Um, so, yeah, like... Um, how do we want to start this discussion? Do we do we want to start talking about um, kind of like some of the themes that we're, we 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 enjoyed, or do we want to talk about the character of Howard Silk? Um, what's everyone's thoughts? Let's start with the theme because the character of Howard Silk kind of develops around some of those themes. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I think this week we're going to cover the first five episodes. So I think the first episode is a really interesting expository episode so um look I, I think before like before we go into themes right I'll, I'll just give my general my general view and maybe we can get a really quick general overview from everyone around the table right um i think my general view of this show is that i really like it because it has it does have those meaty sci-fi themes i think it's a really slow show though like it it's very um thing things move at a kind of it, it's not like a huge amount happens kind of every episode, right? And they dole out sort of sort of surprising information at a very um, measured pace, so to speak. So I think to really enjoy this show, you, you kind of need to really kind of be into that sort of spy thriller, Tinker Tailor Soldier spy style of story. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I think there are some really interesting themes in, in this in this show, and I think they're kind of around the idea of, um, I guess, uh, not not free will, but um, kind of nature versus, versus nurture. I think it's a really interesting exp- exploration of that, um, and I think it's a really interesting exploration of... Um, the adversarial nature of humans as well, right? But we can get into that a little bit later. Um, what does everybody else think about this series? Anna, Joe, Gerald, Mags? Like, who, who wants to shoot first? I, I agree that it's quite slow-moving, so it's not really a show that I often want to binge. Um, I think that J.K. Simmons, who plays um, the character of Howard Silk, really carries this show. Um, I... I am not someone who was is really into the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy kind of movie. So for me, it is the themes that are keeping me um, invested in the show. So I do think it's a free will issue. Um, the, the the free will issue is basically when these worlds um, divided, the alpha people and the prime people they were exactly the same. We were the same people. We just doubled. But since that time these people have diverged and become extremely different from each other. Um, so kind of like how your twin, it's almost like your twin has become completely different from who you are. And which indicates that there is free will in the world, right? So yes. these other yes. people were able to make other decisions and these other decisions took them to different places. Um, but then the show asks, but can you actually diverge that much or are you going to come back to who you really are? So is are those differences between you in the alpha world and you in the prime world, are those differences ultimately going to collapse and you're going to find that you're actually the same person? And it kind of hints that it's going that way or that it might go that way Um and you, you see it in different places. So, for example, the character of Baldwin. And I should note that I know that, De- that Gerald and I have not seen past episode five. We've only seen up to episode five. And I think Darren and Mags have only seen up to episode five, too. But what we've seen of Baldwin so far, you know, she sees her counterpart in the prime world. Um, so Baldwin is the assassin and she's a very a sort of um, very broken person um, having grown up with an alcoholic and abusive father um, who she watched die um, and didn't lift a finger to save. Um, and so she sees her counterpart who apparently seems to be living this much more idealistic life of she's this concert violinist um, and she seems much more put together but then you see that she's been cutting herself and she's actually in a lot of pain as well. So the idea that even even if you are diverging, you're not really any different. You can't really make different choices. You're going to come back to the same place. And Howard Silk's um, counterpart, the tough Howard Silk, um, constantly kind of hints to him, you know, that, that he's going to – I don't know, lots of people are always telling the less tough Howard Silk that, 
that that he may end up more like the more tough Howard Silk. Um, and questions are always being raised about which one is the better man anyway. So, look, I do think that it's asking all of those those questions, and so that's what I really like about it. But that other thing is also really great. Like, what is the better man? Like, I think initially you start off, and I know Gerald very much kind of sees the tough Howard Silk as, like, the, the kick-ass, much better version of Howard Silk. But then you've got characters all over the place saying that it's actually the more passive, um, the, the more quiet, the more gentle Howard Silk that is the better person because he's been able to keep his marriage together. Um, he doesn't have a child, but if he had one, he would have been a good father because, you know, he has a glimpse into the other Howard Silk's child and he, he you can tell that he would have been, you know, he's got that sort of parental instinct there and he would have developed that relationship. Um, and he's a happier man and he's a nicer man and isn't that a better thing? He's a loving man, um, a really deeply caring, compassionate man. Isn't that the better person? Or is it this tough guy who's really succeeded in his work and, you know, is really kick-ass but seems to be lacking in compassion and seems to lack real human connection and love in his life? So I think all of that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so Gerald, Max? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll talk. Um, I just want to take a moment first to to note just how brilliant the performance of J.K. Simmons is. Well, I remember seeing J.K. Simmons um, 20 years ago in Law and Order when he was um, a recurring side character. He played a, a clinical psychologist called Dr. Emil Skoda who was consulted by the New York uh, District Attorney's Office from time to time when developing psychological profiles of criminals. And <clears throat> he didn't he wasn't he didn't loom large as a presence then, but then he he turned up in the HBO show Oz, where um, he was quite terrifying, uh, and he sort of came to his own really, I think, in Whiplash, where he just blew everyone else off the screen. Whiplash and what is an amazing really, film? I, I, I watched yeah. that because you my, told one me of my to watch favorite. it, and it is it is legitimately one of the best. Like I yeah, did it win an Academy Award that year? Is it? Bloody well should have. Whiplash. J.K. JK Simmons won an Academy Award. He won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar. uh, Deservedly, I think. He's absolutely terrifying in that movie. Um, And But the thing about his performance in this show is he does so much and yet so little as well because there's not actually... All that he changes when playing Howard Silk Alpha and Howard Silk Prime are... his posture, vocal intonations, and facial expressions. He actually doesn't do. He doesn't. He doesn't dress differently. He's not wearing different makeup. He's actually doing very little. But in those very small, subtle changes between the two men, he creates entirely different characters. And it is really a, a virtuoso performance on his part that he can do. He can convey so much and uh, conjure up such different personalities. On the basis of doing really very little, at yeah. least very little outwardly. Can I, can uh, I just say, Jez? So can I just say something here? I, like, I think we often talk about act like you know great actors and great great roles and that sort of thing, right? And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say that like with 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 counterpart, J.K. Simmons is actually acting, right? Like when you see this show, this show hinges on. Uh, Credible performance by J.K. Sim- mm. Simmons and all those like little subtleties that he does, right? It's not the writing. It, it's well, I mean, a little bit is the writing, but it's you know, like we often talk about it how much of the role. Yeah, exactly. How much of the role is the writing and how much of the role is is the actor? I would say that mm. in Counterpart, eighty percent of mm-hmm. the characters, the characters of Howard Silk Prime and Howard Silk Alpha, are, are basically J.K. Simmons. So in my mind, like that guy has earned his money on this show because he he's good right like what we talked about the little subtleties of just even like i mean i know it sounds kind of a little bit bsy but like you know just the way his eyes feel right it as mm. how it's silk alpha and how it's silk prime it's different right like, it's like, soft versus intense yeah yeah incredible. yeah exactly yeah. so he he's definitely like he he definitely is acting in this and acting really 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 well so, yeah, and, yeah, and bearing in mind that that in despite the fact that we, we we are watching two parallel universes at work in this show, 
he's the only he for the most part is the the only thing that we we see in common between the two of them because we don't see too many of the other counterparts as between the two parallel universes we see Baldwin and Nadia Fierro her violinist counterpart in in the alpha world um but despite the fact that these two women have very different roles and functions in their respective worlds the performance strikes a similar note as between the, those two characters. In other words, Baldwin in her abject misery is not that different from Nadia Fierro. Yes, um, agreed. Yeah. And, and the other character who, 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 whom we see in both worlds is Howard Silk's wife, Emily. And Emily is comatose <laughs> in one world. So, so we only ever see the actress who plays Emily Silk in her prime incarnation at work. And while she's very good and very compelling, we don't see from any other actor in this show the development of two roles and two characters the way we see J.K. Simmons do, and it's phenomenal. Mm. Um, I think I think Anna just uh, take on the show is very interesting and um, correct. Um, I just want to add a little bit, just a little note um, to supplement that, and that is this. In quantum mechanics, uh, there's a theory – well, in quantum mechanics, there's a suggestion that um, the to observe something is to change it. And the, the notion of opening the door <clears throat> to the parallel, parallel universe so that you can observe it also being the moment when that parallel, uni- parallel universe ceases to be an identical mirror to our own – Kind of recalls that notion. So, um, mm. there is, there is, I think, an exploration, albeit in the background in this show, of the idea that, um, to look at your own reflection is subtly to change yourself. Yeah. And, um, I would agree with that because there's a lot of symbolism, even in the opening credits and, you know, Howard plays Go, you know, the the black and white pieces, right? And that kind of, you know, like the way, it's kind of like the way those things split and kind of mirror, it, it, I I get what you're, I get what you're saying, right? There's that sense of like the act of observation changes it and those little divergences cause this huge ripple effect in the in the great grander scheme, right? It, mm. it, it's quite yeah. interesting. And Howard Alpha has been changing from the moment that he met Howard Prime. Like, there are little subtle things that have been changing. He's been walking with more confidence. He's been doing more confident things. He's been telling the henchmen to get lost because he's going to do what he wants in the Prime world. Even though he's still playing a very distinctly different character to Howard Prime, he's been changing to become a bit more like Howard Prime. So it's really fascinating. Mm. Yeah. And and then on top of that... is this weird Cold War allegory that's been laid over the show because the relationship between the Alpha world and the Prime world, it's sort of a secret Cold War. I mean, it's, the, the, you know, there's only one, there's only one checkpoint between the two worlds. So that kind of recalls Checkpoint Charlie. The show is set in Berlin. It's got the drab atmosphere. It's got the, the Le Carre, um, espionage thing happening. So, um, it's an interesting spin on the idea on, on the idea of the Cold War, and you could read the show as telling us that um, there's actually not that much that that divided in terms of being a difference between the the various participants in the Cold War. Ultimately, as between us and the communist Eastern Bloc, if you look at if you look at all the various people across that divide, we're ultimately uh, bonded by the same humanity, we breathe the same air, mm. we live on the same planet, as as Jack Kennedy said in the final months of his life. And in a sense, this show kind of, I think, plays up on that theme, the idea being that across this divide, um, we're ultimately the same people. Yes. Mm. So I, I strongly agree with that. And I think it's actually one of the um, – I, I picked up on this as well when I, when I watched um, Counterpart. And – I think that, um, like my my variation on that or interpretation of that was almost that you you kind of have the Cold War, right? And the Cold War, you can say ideologically they're different and they're different people across the divide, right? And 
And then in Counterpart, they basically take the exact same Cold War style, right? You know, the same one checkpoint. It's it's kind of like everything is hush-hush. There's like spy games going on. But the difference here is that literally on the other side is the same... Like, it's you. Literally you on the other side. And even in a situation where it's literally a mirror of you on the other side, the human condition is such that where conditioned to create another right so immediately upon creating another side the human condition is immediately to go well that is now the other and that other is my enemy right because i I think it's a really interesting thing where technically it's the same world but there's no cooperation and they go through all these like sort of um cloak and dagger games right to they don't exchange information and like there's no sort of crossover right and literally it's the same it's the same people, right? If anything, we may be even more threatened that the other is is it's us. Exactly but, us. You know? Yeah. 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 So mm. I, I think it's a it's like I mean this is what makes good sci-fi, right? Where it makes you kind of reflect on the human condition. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Maggie, yeah, want to add to that? Oh yes, hello. Um, just to add to that as well, this notion of reality. I mean, even the way in which they talk about Alpha and Prime. You know, our world is Alpha with the original world. But this this idea of what reality is, and with both um, both worlds, you know, when they the different characters exist within each of those worlds, it is reality for them. Um, and even when Howard exchanges places, Howard Silk Alpha exchanges places with Howard Silk Prime, and they inhabit each other's lives, that is a real life that they're inhabiting. But they still feel like they're inhabiting the life of someone else, which I thought was quite interesting. So even though, you know, it's sort of, you know, you're experiencing your own life but from a different perspective, um, at the end the experience still feels like the experience of the life of another. And mm. I suppose for me that question is more like even when um, um, Baldwin meets Nadia Ferrero and watches her die and she has that kind of crisis of, um, of self of, watching herself die, it's still this sense of watching somebody else die that's not her. Um, Mm. So, yeah, for me, I I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So did you you like it overall, Mags? What was your general impression of of this show? Um, Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I like the sort of Cold War mystery story um, and the sort of intrigue of the different characters. I like that as as the series has gone by, um, you get introduced to more and more of the sort of duplicate people um, that exist in um, the prime world and how and when they're meeting and interacting with um, characters from the alpha world. Um, I really I'm really enjoying J.K. Simmons and how he's acting and um, I think it's also got a lot of um, lessons um, from how. Um, even, you know, as, as um, Gerald was saying about those subtle changes he, he makes to his physical presence, um, it's made me notice as well, like, you know, when I'm sort of walking around the city, at work, um, going to meetings, seeing how people behave. So it's sort of um, actually um, stimulating me to observe more how people actually interact with one another in the real world, our reality, actually and how those changes can affect your relationship with people. So I mm. thought that was quite mm. Interesting, interesting. Um, so I think a point that we kind of touched on earlier was Gerald kind of talked about this idea of quantum physics and the act of observation changing things, right? I, th- I think one of the key, key themes of this show is about um, basically... Um, you know, how sort of, I guess, even though flesh and blood wise, there's a certain fixed aspect to your personality. There are also so many other factors that are kind of at play that kind of go and mold, like that basically mold you into the person that you are. And I think with it, with this show, uh, one of the key events is, so I, I kind of want to discuss the character of Howard a little bit, right? Because I guess one of the key events in his life, well, well, the key relationship in his life is his relationship with, with his wife. And that really, how he interacts with his wife is really what 
ends up defining him as a character. Because what we learn is that in one world, he and his wife get married um, in a proper ceremony. And um, subsequently, so we, we basically find out at the beginning of the show that his uh, Alpha Emily is in a coma and Howard has been going to visit her um, every day, right? And we, we basically find out that Alpha Emily is a spy in the same way that Prime Emily is also a spy, right? Both both in the Prime world, both Howard and Emily basically operate as spies in slightly different sections of the government. And in the Alpha world, Howard is basically a menial, um, like he's kind of like an office worker stuff, style person that kind of works within the the mechanism of that the office that oversees this gate and Emily has basically been lying to him for however many years and is actually a spy yeah, spy in the alpha world um, and she's also having an affair yes and she's also she's also having an affair right and like my sense is that Howard knows that she's having an affair right because it's too, too coincidental that he's playing go with the guy who is having an affair with her mm. right? right and the fact that Basically, it's implied that Howard is losing on purpose, right? Or not really putting his back into it when he's playing this guy in Go. And my sense is that Howard knows that this guy is cheat, like is having an affair with his wife, and he is basically trying to him playing Go with this man is this mild-mannered Howard's way of trying to understand why this has happened, right? Like trying to understand this person and like how it is that he could have lost to him in like, I guess the relationship mm. with his wife. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because the, the show basically seems to suggest that there is one moment that kind of defines whether Howard goes down one path or another. Right. And fundamentally how it is the same person but it's just that the one choice kind of emotionally like changes his person shifts his personality so that his life is so different i think that's a really interesting idea right i think it's a really really interesting idea because it's it, wait what's the one choice well I, I, the fact that he doesn't act on knowing that she's having an affair well, well i think it's a couple of choices though it's not just his choice it's her choice in one world to tell the Howard, yes, whether yes, or not right, he's right. a spy. Mm. It's actually how other people's choices as well impact on your sense of reality and the yeah. choices that you make. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think Mags is right. I think the choice is basically that in one world, Emily tells him that she's a spy, and when she does so, he can't accept it. And in another mm -hmm. world, Emily doesn't tell him, and then over time he finds out well, I don't know if he finds out. Maybe no, he doesn't know. No, no, he, oh, yeah, I guess knows. yeah. But so he doesn't yeah. know, and that is what allows him to be so devoted to her throughout this time, right? And yeah, because one affair is one thing, but having lied to the person your entire life, the entire marriage, yeah. is kind of it's different. Yeah, and then so it's interesting, right? Because you have, from a human perspective, you have a relationship which was is honest but has broken down, and another relationship which is dishonest but strictly speaking hasn't like deteriorated, like broken down, like completely broken down, I guess. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I think there's a couple of themes here, which is that one, like this this idea of you know the the symbolism of go, which is like your choices kind of magnify on each other, right? So when you go down a certain path, those things kind of branch out. And it, it kind of makes me feel more philosophical about life, right? Which is that I think in life, we often just kind of, um, the natural position is basically my life is I'm 100% guilty or um, like I'm 100% um the the proponent of every aspect of my life and the the reality also is that that you know in life there's kind of like our personality but we're also shaped by the environment and the choices of others and the, this kind of like interaction with the world around us Absolutely. I, th I think that's like a really um interesting theme and I, I think it's a like it's something that i've been sort of reflecting on on in my in my daily life as well actually in the same way that i guess mags has been reflecting on um 
J.K. Simmons is acting in her <laughs> daily life as well. Um, there, there, there's also there's also the the important difference between the two worlds that uh, in Prime World, Anna, uh, Howard and Emily's daughter, is an, is an adult, whereas um, in Alpha World, Anna was miscarried. Um, and we see for the first four, it's not until the fourth episode that we encounter Anna, and for up until that time, Howard Alpha seems, yeah, he is a lesser figure. He's a less assertive figure. He is a less dynamic figure. He um, is ultimately mournful. And it's not until we, we, we learn that the daughter he thought he was going to have um, slipped away in a miscarriage that we understand that the fact that he's this passive um, character in a bit of a sap might have something to do with the fact that day after day after day, in a way that Howard Prime doesn't, he has to live with the grief of having lost his daughter. Yes, yes. yes. Whereas Prime, Prime doesn't lose his daughter. It's true that Anna, as a child in Prime World, is very sick, and we know, and Emily tells us that Howard Prime was uh, stricken with worry when she caught the, the flu that wiped out 7% of the world's population in, in Prime World. But... Um, Howard has Anna. She's an adult. Yes, she's going to be resentful of him, but he's kind of taken her for granted. The fact that she exists and is alive uh, gives him some sort of comfort and assurance that he can be neglectful and, you know, be the kick-ass spy that he is. Um, and he doesn't have to live with the constant grief of knowing that she was lost. Mm. So, um, so one of the points of distinction between the two men ultimately is that I think uh, Alpha carries the weight of his grief, um, whereas Prime doesn't have to. And so uh, Prime is free to be neglectful and free to be an asshole in a way that Alpha isn't. Mm, mm. Mm. I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's something quite interesting that I didn't pick up on. Can I just say that I, I think the scene, um, the way Anna is kind of introduced, there's, there's kind of one scene which I think is incredibly... Look, I, I think... This, this series, while we've said, is quite slow in the pacing of the plot, um, there are certain scenes um, that they film which I think are really super, super well done, right? So I think the scene where Howard... Um, they do basically the cut from Howard Prime to Howard Alpha, and they're living in each other's world. So basically, at one point... Um, in the story, Howard Prime goes to Alpha World and Howard Alpha goes to Prime's World and they basically, like, swap places, right? So that Howard Prime can continue to be a spy in the Alpha World. But anyway, there's, a, there's basically a scene where Howard Prime walks into the bedroom of Anna. Mm-hmm. Anna's supposed bedroom. What would have been Anna's bedroom in the, mm-hmm. in the Alpha World? And then it's juxtaposed with Howard Alpha walking into Anna's actual bedroom in the prime world. I think that's like, for me, it was, a, I, I don't have kids, and, but it felt like such a powerful scene, right? Where on one hand, like this, so, and I thought it was super well done because earlier in the season, Howard Prime goes to Howard Alpha's apartment and he kind of just takes for granted, as Gerald says, that there's going to be something in Anna's room. So he's like, I'm just going to sleep in here. Because I guess his assumption is that Anna is not at home and I'm just going to take her room while, like, and, and sleep there, right? And, you know, and then he walks into it and it's like, a, it's like this room that's just full of junk and he's kind of taken aback. And being the super spy that he is, he kind of, you know, doesn't bat an eyelid and just keeps going on, right? But then... Later on, you kind of find out, okay, hang on. He goes back into that room and he properly investigates it. And he finds out that that is, within that room, there's all this junk and there's a single box with all of Anna's, like, ultrasounds and, like, kind of, like, their potential baby stuff. And then in this other world, Howard walks into Anna's actual room and he gets to see how he grew up. It Like, for me, it was such a powerful scene, right? It felt like... I mean, you felt this sort of, you felt this overwhelming joy from Howard Alpha, which is like, oh, in this world, she survives. There is a, there is a possibility where she, she survives and she lives a full life, right? Like, 
Um, mm. And then on the other hand, you have this sort of desolation of, well, wow, so this life, which was so important, well, you know, nominally important to Howard in the prime world, doesn't exist at all. I, I thought that was like a beautifully, beautifully filmed scene. And like I think coupled with what Gerald just said there, I, I think that kind of layers it, right? Which is that, I mean, the, that scene is even more powerful when you kind of think about how like that individual would have shaped the life of Howard Prime versus Howard Alpha and the, their personalities. So uh, I thought but, that was but like... The, the, the other thing too is that the relationship between Howard and Anna, both Howards and Anna, um brings us back to one of the themes that Anager articulated at the start of the show, namely that despite the fact that things diverge, they also converge because um, whilst it's true that in one world Anna lives and in the other she was never born, um, neither Howard really knows her. Mm. In, in, in Prime World, Howard Prime is a neglectful father who's on barely speaking, ter- who's barely on speaking terms with his daughter and Howard Alpha never knew his daughter because she was never because she 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 was lost in a miscarriage. So both these men, despite having lives that follow very different trajectories, end up in a way in a similar destination, namely with this in a relationship in, in, in a state of non relationship with their daughter. Prime because he really doesn't know her. Alpha because he never had her. On a related like note of convergence, I, I'm I'm quite curious to see. So you know, you make that point of um, Howard Prime. He has the luxury that his daughter survived, um, whereas Howard Alpha has to carry the burden of her the, her loss and the pain of that every day. And maybe that's why they're so different. I'm kind of curious to see how actually they might be quite similar in the sense that I'm just curious is it the fact that when um, Anna got sick in the prime world and Howard uh, Prime was completely devastated by it I just wonder if that's when he started detaching from the family if the if the, the pain of that was so overwhelming that he started to protect himself by not being so connected with them and by focusing on work and just sort of creating more of an emotional war and similarly I'm interested why Emily and Howard in the um, alpha world didn't go on to have another child. Um, was it because they couldn't? Was it because they didn't want to? Or was it because the pain of that miscarriage was so great that they just didn't want to go there again? Um, mm. So we, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that develops. Mm. Can I just say on that note, the problem with this show, I think, is that the character development and the thematic developments strike me as a thousand percent more interesting than the storyline development. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I think, like, okay, so it's it's very different, right? Because the character and the themes are kind of sci-fi-ish, right? But the plot is very much, like, if you're into sort of, like, spy game Yeah, plots, and I guess I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, Mags, Gerald, what do you guys think? I, I just um, wanted to pick up that point about convergence and divergence. Like, for me... I actually think um, the convergence is more about the sort of fundamental nature, human nature, whereas the divergence is actually that there are two separate realities. There are two separate individuals, even though they're the same individual. Mm -hmm. And what I find really interesting about this show is that the Howards acknowledge that they're different, but they grow by learning about themselves through each other. But at the end of the day, they still recognise that they're separate different individuals and I think that's part of the conflict that you know when um I can't remember his name now the young director who's quail is Gerald, quail, there's, right? a GOT, there's a there's a there's a game Peter of thrones quail. reference there right yes. there for you Gerald. <laughs> Already. <laughs> uh, look it's totally eluded me so you'll have to you'll have to educate me does uh, the quail is Viserys Targaryen oh my god yes that's Viserys <laughs> yeah Yep. Dark-haired Viserys, Targaryen. Yes, yes, oh, yes. 
The crown of gold. He's creeping me out. I'm like, why is this dude creeping me out with his creepy eyes? It's because he's been beating his sister. (laughs) In another world, in a massive divergent world, he's been beating his sister. (laughs) So all he has to do in order to in order to in order to come out on top in this show is to is to awaken is to awake the dragon. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Who is J.K. Simmons? Um, no, I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, uh, oh, so you know how Quail went um, at the beginning of the series, um, Howard Silk asks him, well, you've got to tell me what the hell's going on. Um, and will I, you know, and, and he warns him not to get too close to um, Howard um, Prime because um, that in the past has sort of screwed people up in understanding themselves or in getting to know themselves in, in, from the other world. But I actually think that experience that Howard is having is actually, you know, I, I think he's just learning. He's growing from the experience but growing in a way where he acknowledges himself. I don't know if that makes sense. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just track back to, to Anna just point about how the character and thematic development of the show far outstrips the the actual plotting um i think the real the problem there is let's let's compare this to say real tinker taylor soldier spy that story develops against the background that we know well and the stakes of which we know well we know about the cold war we know what the stakes of the cold war was we know the rules of the cold war part of the difficulty with this show is whilst it, it it's seeking to transplant the structures and tension of the Cold War into this sci-fi packaging. But it does so in a way where the rules of the two worlds are introduced to us very slowly. So we know, for instance, that that parties in Prime World feel aggrieved at Alpha World because they think Alpha World introduced a Prime World, a flu which wiped out a significant proportion of the population in, in Prime World. We don't know how that happened. We don't quite know what the stakes are, why the relationship between the two worlds otherwise is so tense. We don't know why they're spying on each other. We don't know why it is that there isn't a lack of cooperation. We don't know why, for instance, um, in Alpha World, people have smartphones, but Prime World, whilst in many other ways far advanced of, um, of Alpha World, people don't have smartphones. That technology seems to have eluded them. They do have smartphones, so, though. Like in the oh, very, the very first scene, they just have different looking ones. They've got the even more future ones. Because you know, in the very first scene, they have Baldwin executing people. The the cops yeah. are from Prime World, and they have the like crystal sort of smartphones. Thief. Yeah, the glass see-through. Yeah, yeah, true, 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 true. But but the thing is, the the essential point I think is that the the stakes and the sort of general background in which the show. Uh, in which the tensions that are so central to the plot and the show rest on um, aren't developed quite as well and aren't fleshed out quite as well as the characters are, maybe because they're part of the mystery. And so the the show is unraveling those aspects of um, the worlds in which um, in which it takes place uh, because that's part of the mystery. That's part of identifying the mole in the office in Alpha World. But it also means that we we, we are confused for, for for much of the running time of the show um, yes. in a way that wouldn't be if this was just a straight Cold War thriller. Yes, I agree. I, I think the key point of information is basically this, this aggrievement that you've said, right? Like this idea that in Prime World they had this flu which ripped through the population, and we're not really told that until Episode 5, right? And, I mean... Basically, as a point of antagonism, you don't really understand. You're absolutely right. You don't understand why, like, why they're treating each other in that sort of way until that point, right? Like, you don't understand. They do say quite early on, like, someone from the the Prime World does say quite early on what your world did to us. Like, it's, yeah. it's taken us a while to recover from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't know exactly what what happened yeah. until later. Yeah, but Gerald's point is 
like fair, right? Because in a Cold War thriller, you kind of know well you got the Russians and they're communists, and then you've got the you know the West and you know what happens. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly, right. And the stakes are basically <laughs> nuclear war, right? Like you, you, one thing goes wrong and like the big red button goes down and everyone gets annihilated. Right. So and yeah, so no... you know you know you know what happened. You know why the the two the two sides hate each other. Um, you know what they're fighting over. Um, the relationship between them is clear. The world, the, the context in which their tensions play out is also pretty clear, whereas this is all pretty muddy and confusing. And because it's muddy and confusing, it doesn't feel quite as consequential because you're still sort of tiptoeing your way through the dark. Hmm. Hmm. Look, I'll be honest. Mags and I have actually watched up to episode six, so no. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but um, I, I feel like this is this is a series that kind of gets, like, as they sort of dole out more of the plot and the kind of background, I feel the plot becomes more interesting, right? I think basically the way they've kind of worked it is that, um, you know, they kind of hook you with the thematic and then over time they kind of build the plot. But I take your point. The, The plot is not, like, in the first... The first three or four episodes, the overarching direction of where the show is going is kind of unclear, uh, I'll be honest, right? Like, it's kind of just like, well, you know, what are the stakes here? What's actually going on? Um, I, I think the show does get there. It, it just takes its sweet time. Um, I'm going to guess that, um, you know, the prime world was just way more advanced than our world, they, than the alpha world. They were just developing at a much much faster rate and there might have been some jealousy or some sense of threat from our world and that maybe this virus, this flu virus, was set upon them to slow them down or wipe them out so that mm. they wouldn't overtake us um, mm. and surpass us and make us irrelevant. Mm. But I don't know what's – but to me, that that's fine. I don't like this other stuff, like Alexander Pope, like this spy organization that's training all these kick-ass assassins. Like, who is Claire? Um, what's it? Nazanin, um, what's her, what's well, her name? Nazanin Boniardi. Who no, is she? Boniardi. I, she seems so she's familiar. From, um, yeah, yeah, she's from Homeland. Homeland. Is she on Game of Thrones? <laughs> no, she wasn't on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> she, we first, we first I was waiting for someone to ask that she was in um, she was in How I Met Your Mother. She played a character called Nora, who was Barney's girlfriend for about four or five episodes. And then, yes, she was in Homeland. And uh, between Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes, she was um, being auditioned by the Church of Scientology to be the next Mrs. Cruz. Oh, really? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't care about her or how kick-ass she is or who she is. Like, it's that stuff that I find annoying and irritating. Okay. <laughs> so watch episode six, Adija. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this later. Okay, yeah, yeah. Time. Yeah, I think next time I'd, I'd like to have a chat about the character of Quail. Like, um, I actually find Viserys a really interesting character in this. He's not really just like i i think he, the initial impression of that that character and basically what you kind of realize about him is is, is different i i think i think oh. he's, he's a, well not i mean just I, I think he's an interesting character i don't think he's a one okay. dimension because i, I think there's well, a lot of to episode five he's pretty one one dimensional yeah i, I think a lot of character you know like i i kind of feel like you know, there are a lot of characters that are kind of like just smarmy bastards, right? And he kind of comes across with that. And the reality is that he is, but I don't feel like he all he is is just a smart. Anyway, but we can talk about okay. that in all right. in all right. in, so- in later episodes. Um, can I like? I'd like to make one more point, which is I, I was talking about earlier some scenes that I thought were really really well filmed, and I think the opening scene of Counterpart is beautifully filmed um the scene when howard walks into the office building and Mm -hmm. he 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 does his work basically and it's just inscrutable right and the way it's filmed is that it feels almost abstract right um Mm. it, it like it like you know the way the buildings they've got these like you know blocky sort of 
buildings and like the way they all walk into the office and the way they all get dressed in exactly the same thing and blah, blah, blah. All this type of... And then what they actually do in terms of the work, like it builds this idea of this, like... It's kind of like this Kafkaesque bureaucracy, right? Like in a really literal form, right? Like where they're just doing really unclear, inscrutable things. And you're kind of like, Mm -hmm. why is this man being forced to do this? And Mm -hmm. him as a character, the way he acts that out, it's like his browbeaten, like, you know, it's like, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of just defeated. Right. Um, Mm. and he goes through all this sort of rigmarole and crazy Kafkaesque process. I think that's a really beautiful, like scene setting scene. Like it, it just, it feels like, for me, it was just like wow. As it from a sci-fi perspective, it's it's like a it's just a beautiful scene. There's there's so much symbolism there. It's it's kind of semi-abstract. Um, yeah, I, I thought, and I think there are numerous scenes throughout um, this series that kind of have um, not a, not obviously the same effect, but a, a similarly well filmed. Right. So I feel like artistically, this is quite an interesting like. Um, it has artistic integrity, I guess, is what I'm, mm. I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Totally. You can totally feel his bewilderment about what is it that he's doing every day with his time and his mm. frustration of not being able to understand it. And yet he goes back and does the same thing every single day yeah. for how many years? Um, and, yeah, I think that us, uh, raises some really interesting questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Mm. Is there anything else we really want to talk about in terms of the first five episodes? I know that we've kind of just packed it in, and um, this, this is probably quite a cursory look at Counterpart. We, we haven't really delved into the plot as much as we could have, but um, is there anything else interesting that we kind of wanted to talk about? Um, if not, I'm, I'm raring to see the last five episodes and um, see where this is all going. Let's do it. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I, the only thing um, I like to say is um, with Emily, I can't wait for Emily in the alpha world to wake up. Yeah, I want to see what she's like and how. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see how different she is and how. Hopefully, Olivia Williams does play her um, in the, differently. You know, in the same way that J.K. Simmons plays Howard Silk very differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how funny would it be though if she didn't wake up? <laughs> you, know, you know, I can totally see that the finale of the season is her waking up. You know, you have the dumb yeah. scene of like yeah. the, the the camera over her bed, and then the cliche is that her eyes open, and that's the <laughs> end. Of, yeah. And that's yeah. the end yeah. of the season. Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, actually, there is one last thing that I'd like to really quick, uh, really quickly talk about. Um, did you guys know about this at all? Prior, so I know that Mags and I told Gerald and Anna to go watch this show. Gerald and Anna, did you know about this show at all before we had spoken about it? Had you heard about it? We did it? not know about it, and I really, I kind of wish I hadn't asked you guys or that you hadn't given us a bit of a summary about what it was about, because if you hadn't and we'd gone in cold, the very first time you get the reveal of the second Howard Silk, I would have just jaw-dropped. I would never have expected that or seen that coming, and it would have been, like, truly shocking, because this really is a very original and brilliant idea. Yeah, I, I did know. I did know about the show um, because I, I'd seen sort of some coverage of it on some of the some of the outlets that I read. So I did know the premise of um, J.K. Simmons playing himself, playing one character and another who was his counterpart in a parallel universe. So that much I did know. I also knew that it was an espionage show, but that's about that's about it. Um, yeah. It is. It is really. Uh, I mean, I think. The thing is, the Stars Network in the US has always been, has always sort of flown under the radar. Its most prominent show ever was Spartacus. Yep. And while there are television critics who swear by that show being brilliant, um, it, 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 it hasn't left the same sort of cultural imprint as a lot of other sort of, you know, gory, gory, violent shows that feature a lot of nudity. Um, I can think of one in particular. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Star Stars has always been sort of like 
you know, the two big sort of premium cable networks in the US that feature lots of swearing and nudity are HBO and Showtime, and Stars has always been sort of a distant, kind of a distant third. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that this show hasn't received much by way of attention, um, I think, speaks to that. Yeah, I, I actually, so what I wanted to talk about was I, I found it amazing that this show got so little attention. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it says something about the marketing machine in Hollywood and basically like often the most successful shows are the ones that get the best PR rather than, you know, shows that have integrity. I I genuinely feel as, as even though we talk about how there are, there are obviously issues with this show. I I do agree that the plotting is slow, but I do feel like this show is original and it is, Mm. um, it has integrity, right? And that sort of thing Mm. should absolutely be celebrated. And, um, like discussed, right? Like, you know, we have so like, I mean, look, we say that we're in a period of peak TV, but the reality is that there are still a lot of shows that are really derivative and kind of mm. like banal and, you know, are really just in it really for the money, I guess. Right. But, you know, this show, I feel like genuinely has integrity. And the reality is I did not know about this at all. Like this, like none of the news outlets that I was reading had, talked about this right so the typical sort of pop culture outlets that you know talk about you know like minor details on a certain game of thrones episode or they'll dissect a walking dead episode like 20 20 ways to whatever it is right like none of these guys really picked up i i had no idea that this show even existed and it, it seems like a show that you would like, at least read an article on, like, IGN or something like that, mm. right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, IGN pick up stuff like, I don't know, Vikings or whatever it is, right? And yeah, this show just was, like, completely no idea, right? And it's sci-fi. This is, like, legitimate sci-fi. Like, when you talk about these pop culture outlets and they cover sci-fi and superhero and that sort of thing, right? This show, like, seems to really fit into that it, like it fits into that niche, and it's right? got the cast yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. I, I found mm. i was looking at the ratings and the ratings are low like sub 1 million like three hundred thousand. Oh, yeah right really low ratings right and i mean i know it's actually being renewed for a second season so good on them for doing that but yeah like it, it just kind of sometimes it kind of boggles my mind the types of things that get press and the type of things that don't get press right because we have watched much worse TV shows that have got much better press, right? Mm. Um, like, for me, like, the big culprit for that is, um, I feel like, while we've kind of raved about the Marvel movies, I kind of feel like some of the Marvel TV series, the early ones were okay-ish, but some of them, like Iron Fist and Defenders, I thought were horrible. And they got so much press, right? Like, so much, so mm. much press, Right, and they weren't particularly original. They absolutely dragged on from a plotting perspective. They had way more issues than this show, it, and you know, this thing has just gone under the radar. I, I, I kind of feel like that's an injustice. <laughs> anyway, that's yeah. Well, I mean, those, those shows all had behind them the, the might of the Netflix marketing machine. Mm. I mean, Netflix is, and we can we can talk about this in another episode, but Netflix is the sort of 10,000-pound gorilla in the room now. It is, for the first time this year, Netflix has gotten more Emmy nominations than HBO. Um, and that is that represents a huge shift in the way television is being made and consumed around the world. When you have a streaming service that's completely play, that's playing the game of the premium cable networks and beating them, uh, that represents a huge shift, and you think of all the money that that that, that Netflix has. Netflix is able to greenlight, you know, ten times the number of projects per year that an HBO or a Stars or a Showtime can, because it's not it's not restricted by scheduling. Mm. Whereas these cable networks, because they're, they're they're TV networks in the traditional sense are confined by scheduling. So there's only a finite amount of airtime available for them to fill and therefore a finite lesser amount of content that they can generate and produce for the purpose of filling that airtime, whereas Netflix is not bound by that at all. So Netflix can just swamp the television marketplace Mm. and shows like this can get completely lost. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think it's it's really sad. And the reality is that, I, like, I mean, I don't think Netflix is kind of a new evil empire, right? I, I do feel that Netflix does produce original content. I, I, like, you know, I love Netflix. Oh, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm all for it. I love yeah, Netflix. Yeah. But, I mean, look, I, I guess one of the byproducts is that when networks like Stars. Look, I'll be honest, right? I like Spartacus Blood and Sand, but this this show is a completely different from... It's like a completely different beast, right? Spartacus was like a super trashy, like... It was like... Do you remember Hercules, The Legendary Adventures? It was kind of like that, but yes. with more blood and nudity, right? And like yeah. more mature, in inverted commas, themes, right? It It's that sort of series, right? It's like super melodramatic, like... This counterpart is not that counterpart is like a thinking, thinking man's. It's it's like cerebral. It's you know it's it, it, it feels like art, right? In in some ways. So, um, yeah, like it's it's just a completely different beast. So yeah, it's, one of, it's probably one of those series which you know it relies on word of mouth and over time could become a cult classic. Mm. Um. But it takes it, – it's probably one that's going to be driven from the ground up, I think, in terms of popularity. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, on that note, we as a podcast have done our part for artistic <laughs> integrity by talking about it to <laughs> our huge audience of listeners. So <laughs> if you're out Go there – Yeah, if you're out there, you should watch Counterpart because it, it's it's a good series. So It's pretty good. Um. On that note, let's um, let's reconvene um, next time to talk about the rest of this series. Um, yeah, thanks so much, everybody, for a fun podcast. Um, Thank you. Speak next time. See you guys. See ya. Bye. Yeah. Bye.